John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So this morning as we've been singing about the Father, here we've got this, this disclosure saying, okay, we're being introduced to the Father, but no one has ever seen him, but this other one who is called the only God here and who is positioned at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, the, well, the one we're talking about here is Jesus. So what it's saying is Jesus is the only God, and Jesus is at the Father's side, and he has made him known. Now, the, the, the word has made him known is on the screen. And by the way, if you're following in your black uh, John journal, it's page 8. So you come to verse 18, and circle those words there, has made him known. And off to the side, write the, the, the word exegeomai. Exegeomai. E-X-E-G, and it's spelled for you right there. E-O-M-A-I. Exegeomai. And I'm not trying to make us Greek students or anything like that, but this is a significant word. And what it means is, to exegeomai means to take from within the essence of something and draw it out. That's what it is to exegeomai. To, to exegeomai a, 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 a quarry of gold, you go into the mountain and you take out what was there, you take out the gold from within the mountain. To strike oil, you bore down and you exegeomai, you take out the oil that was down there. To, to, to mine diamonds, you, you find whatever, and you, you dig there and you exegeomai, you take out what was there. Now, now some of you may recognize the, the words that's used for Bible students. All Bible students are taught what's called exegesis. You may have heard of that expression. It, is not, it sounds like Jesus. It has nothing to do with Jesus. But to ex, exegesis is to do proper Bible study. And let me explain this. The, the single difference between good Bible study and bad Bible study is the word exegesis. Good Bible study takes what is here and draws it out. Bad Bible study takes what is not here and tries to put it on it. Put it on top of it. That is the single distinction between good Bible study and bad. Bad, you put on top of the Bible and you try to prove your point with the Bible. You, it has nothing to do with what was already there. Good Bible study takes what's there and draws it out. Is that clear? Oh, yeah. I, I really, part of my desire for every one of us is that we have a nose to tell good Bible study from bad Bible study. You ought to be able to do this. When you hear the, the true, the good, you ought to be able to recognize, there it is, it's coming from the Word. That's what we insist on here at Lilburn Alliance Church, that all of our teaching comes out of the Word, not being superimposed on top of it. Now, what this is saying about Jesus, however, get the picture. What this one verse is telling us is that Jesus uniquely came from within the belly of the Father, so to speak, 
And, and now he takes what is inside of God and he brings it out and makes it plain for us. He, he exegeomai the Father. Does this make sense? This is so powerful. This is the difference between any other prophet and Jesus. If you hear someone, like if, you, if you're in, in general conversation, you ask someone, what do you think about Jesus? Oh, he's a good prophet. You might think, well, that's a pretty good answer. That is a rotten answer. It's an utter insult to just call Jesus a prophet. There were lots of prophets. Jesus is not just one among many. He's not just the best among many. Jesus is more than a prophet because a prophet did not come from within God, he is outside of God talking about what is inside of God. Jesus, on the other hand, came from within the Father. And so he is on another whole category. You can't put him in a category of other prophets. Is this, is this good? We good on this? Now, let's lay next to this. And in the margin, this is why we give you these. Please write. Don't think, oh, pastor's making us write this morning. No, I mean, what do we give you these for if you're not going to use them? Uh, we provided all of you with the black journal. Please, on page 8, off to the side, write this reference. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. What does it say there? Hebrews 1 says, in, in uh, many and various ways in the past, God spoke to us, but in these days, he has spoken to us through the Son. What's he saying? What he's saying is, in the past, prophets did their best to represent God. But now, the Father sent from within himself his own Son to be the clearest revelation, the, the taking from what was in the Father and now making it known. That's what Jesus uniquely does, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. And here's another reference, write this one down. Colossians 1:15. it says, he, talking about Christ, Christ is the image of the invisible God. The word image literally means, in the, the Greek word, is, is icon or idol. The, 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 the sun is the icon of God. Now, I thought idols were forbidden. Doesn't the Ten Commandments tell us not to make for ourselves an idol in the, in the shape of anything? And now here, Jesus is called the idol. Well, yes. Man-made idols are off-limits because we make them really as projections of ourselves after our own image. But Jesus was not made. Jesus came from within God and, and brings the Father as the only authorized icon who has ever come from the Father as the Son. That's what we find here in John 118. Hallelujah. This is the unique perspective of the Son and the Father, the relationship that they have that we get in John's Gospel. What we really get is this lofty view of the life of Christ. And, and, and really a more accurate, a fuller description and understanding of Jesus in John's Gospel. I, I read this week how they're building... A, a, a glass elevator in New York City that will take people 1,210 feet 
above the greatest city on earth. And it's guaranteed to be the greatest view of the greatest city on earth. Now, here's, here's, here's a rendering of it. And, and there's a kid that's freaking out, and his dad's covering his eyes like, oh, you'll be fine, you, we'll get down safely. But imagine a fully enclosed glass, it's like a glass a dumbwaiter or lift that will, will rise above every other peak in New York City to give a, 20, uh, a 360 degree view of the greatest city on earth. Now, now I, I want, let's just have some fun here. How many of you, maybe not the first week it's open, but, but, but maybe with, within a couple years and, and proving that it worked, how many of you would get in that? Let, let me see your hands. Okay, how many of you would say, no way I'm getting in that thing? <laughs> there, see, we learned something about ourselves, okay. Well, Jesus and the Gospel of John doesn't give us an elevated view of the greatest city in the world, but it gives us an elevated view of the greatest person in history. The view, the high God view of the life of Christ. And when you put it that way, that's what John 1.18 he came from the Father. He is today at the right hand of the Father, equal with the Father, who today exegeomai, takes from within the Father and makes the Father known to us. The, the importance of understanding this as we study our way through the Gospel of John over these next four months, all, all summer we're going to be moving through, Every time we see Jesus, we're going to see the Father. Every word that Jesus says comes, came from the Father. Amen. So his entire, the whole Gospel of John, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the explaining of Jesus, it is all taken from within the Father and may, being made known to us. That's what we get in the Gospels. Hallelujah. Now that's the first of three words. The second is John 4, 34. It's page 24 in your black journals. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Okay, so Jesus said this after his disciples went off uh, to go get some shawarma. Or falafel, and um, some uh, nice uh, olives, and some hummus, and um, maybe some baklava, and a few other things. So they went to get lunch, and they come back, and, and they see Jesus has has had this in incredible ministry to this to this Samaritan woman, and and uh, they're surprised that Jesus isn't grabbing for the shawarma, and and Jesus said, "Hey." I'm, I'm, I, I, I've, I've eaten well because my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So what, what's he saying? My food, Jesus is saying here, my sustenance, what juices me, what I feed on, what energizes me is to do the will of him who sent me. Now, that phrase, and, and circle it, 
Him who sent me. Circle those words. Him who sent me. Four words. Put a line over to the side and write 32x. 30, 32 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says those words, him who sent me. 32 times. There's only 21 chapters in the, in the Gospel of John. So more than once, almost one and a half times per chapter, you'll find those words, him who sent me, him who sent me, him who sent me. Now, now th this, this bears a reflection of like FedEx or um, UPS. It, it's, it, but, but we're not talking about a, a, a package. We're talking about a person. He's been sent from the Father. Now again, remember, we're talking about this elevated view of the life of Jesus. The elevated view of the life of Jesus is that he knew throughout his whole ministry, he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. He, he knew while he was functioning here on earth with everything he was doing that he was sent 32 times. Now, the, 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 the startling reality is that Matthew's gospel uses that, those words once. Once in Matthew's gospel, it quotes Jesus saying, him who sent me. In Mark's gospel, once, once, Mark includes the words, him who sent me. Luke, three times, him who sent me. John, 32 times. 10 times more than Luke. 32 times more than Matthew and, and, and Mark. And six times more than all of them put together, John includes the words, him who sent me. Now, the beauty of this is, if, first of all, it shows us uh, clearly that John carries this unique thread and shows us Jesus' own view of Jesus' earthly ministry. Far more clearly than any of the other Gospels. It shows us the mindset of Jesus during his ministry. But it's also beautiful that, that at least Matthew included it once, Mark included it once, and Luke three times, because there are fancy pants scholars who think they know better than anybody, and, and scholars would say, oh, well, if it's not in Matthew or Mark and Luke, John obviously made it up. He put those words in, in Jesus' mouth. Well, no, no, because Mark, Matthew did include it, and Ma Mark included it, and, and Luke included it. So, so don't, don't think that, that John made it up, but keep in mind, and this is so powerful, John, who's writing this, wrote five books. He wrote five. He wrote the Gospel. He wrote the last book in the in New Testament, the book of Revelation, but he wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Well, m most of us think, well, that he wrote the gospel first, the letters, and then the, the, the prophecy, the last book in the New Testament, because that's the sequence they appear in our Bible. But th that, th that has nothing to do with the sequence he wrote them in. In fact, I want to suggest to you today that Jesus wrote his books, uh, John wrote these five books in the opposite order. Let me make a case for it. I believe the first book he wrote was, and I'm not alone in this. There are many scholars who, who affirm this. But I believe John wrote the book of Revelation first because Jesus told him when Jesus appears to John, write these things down. So he had a clear word from God uh, 
and unmistakable to write the, uh, the book of the Revelation. So that one uh, we, we get. He, he would write it right away because God said write these things. Then the three letters, we know he wrote later in life. And, and if he was in, uh, if he was still pastoring the churches that he was um, uh, pastoring, to which the book of Revelation was sent, if he was still in the pastorate in those cities, why would he write letters? He would have just visited them. He wrote them because he was absent from them. So he wrote these letters after he wrote the Revelation, most likely in exile on the island of Patmos, away from his hometowns where he was pastoring this, this little itinerant group of seven churches. He wrote them the letters. But what about the gospel? Well, I, let me make a case for that being the last. I, I believe it's the last of the five because we know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written first. We also know there was a significant amount of time between them and the writing of the Gospel of John, so it puts it later. We also know that, that John was the youngest of the disciples, and he lived the longest. So he had the most time, uh, he lived much older, and could have well written the Gospel after writing the epistles and after writing the letter of prophecy. And, and the clinching deal for me is, how would he have such a lofty view of Jesus' ministry? And part of the answer is, because of the encounter he had with Christ, in Revelation chapter 1, when John encounters this glorified, exalted Christ on the island of Patmos, recorded in John chapter 1, he fell at his face like a dead man. This is John who laid his head on Jesus' shoulder, who, who was told to adopt uh, his mother and, and care for Jesus' own mother after his death. This was the most intimate of all the disciples who knew Jesus arguably better than any of the other disciples when he encounters this exalted Christ. He falls on his face like a dead man. And it makes sense to me that when that took place and all the other revelations of Christ we see through the book of Revelation, that set him on a mission to write a gospel that would give a higher perspective on the reality of Christ. You can take that or leave it, but it still gives an interesting perspective on John's gospel. Now here, 32 times, and this is the first one, Jesus says, him who sent me. And 32 times, reading each of the times he sent it, each are strategically placed. Once Jesus said, I only do the things that I see my Father doing. The works that I do, I do 
following the leadership of the one who sent me. John 5.19, I only do the will of him who sent me. John 5.19. So that's his works were limited to the one who sent him. John 8.28 says, I only say the words of the one who sent me. So not only did he limit his works to be in accordance with the one who sent him, but his words were in accordance with the one who sent him. In fact, in John 15, 15, Jesus said, my teaching is the teaching of the one who sent me. But then Jesus went further, his works, his words, and his relationships. Jesus said, John 6, 44, he said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Unless the one who sent me draws people to me, no one can come to me. Now you think of this. Jesus is the apostle. Jesus is the ultimate evangelist. Jesus is the one that goes to, to seek and to save the lost. He goes to find the one. He leaves the 99. The one lost sheep he goes to find. But in all of his evangelism, and all of his going, he was aware that not everyone would respond, only those who the Father, the one who sent him, would draw to him. Now, the first time Jesus uses that phrase, him who sent me, is here in John 4, 34. The last time he uses it is in John 20, 21. When here in the upper room, right before his ascension, he, he tells them to receive the Spirit, but first he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now just think of this. What Jesus is doing is taking his M.O., his awareness of his own sentness, and he puts it in you and I, and he says, just as I lived with the awareness that the Father sent me, now from this moment on, I want to put that sentness on you and in you so that just as I lived my whole life, doing the will of him who sent me, speaking the words of him who sent me, and discipling those that the one who sent me has drawn to me. So now you, I'm sending you to do the works of him who sent you, to say the words of him who sent you, to disciple those that the Father draws to you. The same sentness that Jesus lived with, he's now putting in us. What a picture. Receive it. Receive it. Hallelujah. You're, not, you're not just a, a pinball inside some machine and people hit flappers and push you here and there. You have one strategic purpose because the same one that sent Jesus is sending you. You have a purpose. You have a mission. Some may try to hit the flappers and push you around but God wants you to know the undercurrent of his purpose in your life. The third word we want to look at this morning is in John 14. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, 
and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and here's the phrase, and manifest myself to him. The word manifest is, is the word emphonizo in the Greek. Emphonizo. It's the word from which we get emphasize. And what Jesus is promising here is, I will emphasize myself to you. But the word emphasize means to explain in detail, to activate, to disclose. It's used 10 times in the New Testament. But here, here, Jesus waited. John 14 is, is the account of the last night of Jesus' life before he was crucified. And here is, is the first time now this would make any sense to his disciples, but even the disciples didn't get it. And, and when Jesus said these words, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit, and I'm gonna go back to the Father, but from the Father to you, by the Spirit, I'm going to put emphasis on myself in a way that you could never have handled before. You will know me better when I go than you do right now. Now, the disciples, one of the disciples said, Lord, verse 22, how is it that you will manifest yourself? How will you put emphasis on yourself to us now that you're going to be gone and not to the world? And Jesus explains, and these are some of the deepest uh, words in the Gospel of John. Here, here Jesus really takes them to the deep end of faith. If anyone loves me, and that's the heart of it, loving Jesus. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And listen to this. We will come to him. Who's the we? Father, son, spirit. We, the Godhead. We will come to him and here's the word, make our home with him. Circle the word home. Circle the word home. We will make our home with him. Now, what, what, he's, what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to go to the Father, to, to my home with the Father in heaven, but, but, something's going to happen simultaneously. I'm going to go to the, to, to, to the Father in his home. And simultaneously, you will be our home. And we will come into you, into your mess, into your every day, and dwell with you. And that's where I will put emphasis on myself in the middle of your lives. Now, this is the heart of the gospel. This is why Jesus came. Not just so that we might believe in him, but so that we might become a home for him. You might have come here thinking, man, I don't have a hope in the world, but I'm going to go to church today because maybe I'll get something. Oh, I've got, God had more for you than just to throw you a lifeline. God wants you to know that he wants to make his home in you. Hallelujah. His home. 
You might think, in my stinky place, in my apartment, in my, some of you, there might be someone here that lives on the street. God wants to live there with you. Whatever mess you represent today, God wants to move into you. He wants to move into your space. The fact that, that God sent his son to live here for 33 years, that's just the tip of the iceberg. He lived here for 33 years so that he could move in with you permanently. Now, 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 this is so powerful. You, I asked you to circle that word in verse 23, home. Circle that word. Now go back to, in the same chapter to verse 1. And this, by the way, is page 88, if you, if you haven't found it yet, in your black journal. Verse 1, chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. That word rooms, circle it. In, in some translations are many mansions. It's, it's the same word, mansions, rooms. That word is the same exact word used in verse 23 for home. Now think of this. This, this is one of the most common scriptures for funerals. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have lost loved ones recently. Listen to me. Jesus is saying here at the beginning of chapter 14, in the second verse, that he is going to prepare a home, a mansion, for you in Father's house. So that when you get there, it'll be ready for you. But in chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus is saying, in the meantime, you're my mansion. You're my house. Don't wait until you die and get to heaven and move into your mansion there. Make me a mansion. Make space for me now in your house, in your living space, in your family, in your mess. No matter what you have, Jesus came to redeem it. Think of it. When he, when he was born, he wasn't born in a hospital or a palace. He was born in a barn. There wasn't room in the, in the house in the living quarters, so he was born underneath it in basically a, a, the stalls of animals. What a picture of the Son of God coming. But it, it's a picture of our, our messy lives. That Jesus, the Redeemer, is the one who came to enter the space of my life and your life. And when he comes in, he, his presence, will make you feel more at home than you've ever felt in your life. His presence changes the atmosphere anywhere he comes. This is the gospel. And in that space you make for him, that's where he emphasizes his presence. That's where he infuses you with the supernatural. When you make space, God will come and occupy and make himself known in extraordinary ways. You will feel more love than you have ever felt in your life. Because the Father will love you, the Son will love you, the Holy Spirit will love you when you make space in your life for him. Powerful three pictures, three texts of Scripture 
that give a lofty view on the life of Jesus. And every other story in between will paint the same exact picture. Jesus is the one who takes from within the Father and makes it known. And every chapter, every verse that we look at throughout the Gospels of John through the summer, we're going to see what, how Jesus takes from within the Father and makes it known. We will see what the one sent from the Father does and what he says because he was sent from the Father. And in every case, we're going to see the evidence of lives changed when Jesus is welcomed into the heart, the family, the space, the workplace, the environment, the messiness of life, when Jesus is welcomed, we're going to see what happens. Hallelujah. 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 Father God, thank you for the word. Thank you for your, your blessing on us. Thank you, thank you, thank you that we get to put our faith in such a father because of his son, Jesus we love you, we honor you, we bless you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.